All right. So I'm sitting here today with uh, Eric Wall, and uh, I met this man not that long ago, actually, a couple months maybe. Um, at I believe we met at a – so there's a group of men that get together that are really interested in mentoring younger folks or being mentored by older folks and went to that uh, and met you there, right? Right, right. And uh, when I first met him, I believe – well, one, you, you stand out. So he, for those of you that can't see Eric, he's a, he's a, he's an clearly a tough guy. Uh, he's got, uh, tattoos on his arms, some sleeves up his arms and, uh, uh, is a military man and is, was, I was introduced to him is currently a, um, working to be and is a missionary. Um, but the point of contact that I, I remember is that was really tilapia or aquaponics there was some introduction made right. and i have a huge area of interest there so um you know so so i and and then also i was just intrigued by this man that has this kind of military background um i believe had built a business around like kind of surveillance and then is also uh now a missionary and which to me just didn't seem to follow one after the next. So I, I was really intrigued to say, Hey, let's jump into a conversation. I want to hear some of your story, but why don't you open up by just telling us a little bit of your own, like, like, what are you working on? Tell us about your current projects. All right. Well, right now we're, uh, we've kind of just revamped our entire mission concept. Okay. Going from uh, large scale missions work to just kind of getting back to the basics of a husband and wife team, uh, no employees, no giant board of directors. That's nice. Um, going out into the field and, and just doing what Jesus asked us to, you know, the make disciples. Okay. Um, we have done the large scale projects. We, you know, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on things and not had the result that we were looking for basically due to, you know, government interference. Now, you and, were in... St. Lucia. Right. Yeah. We yep. went to St. Lucia for two years. Um, what we basically, what we started doing was setting up sustainable teaching. So we do aquaponics and hydroponics. Um, we not only have a farm, but then we teach people how to do that. We learn, I, I learned from everybody. I went to every class I could think of everywhere around the world that taught this. Um, and there was one guy named, uh, Tim Mann from Friendly Aquaponics in Hawaii that had a class out in Texas. I went there and he developed a system called low density aquaponics where they, they focus more on the, what you grow versus the fish. Oh, so low density of the number of, of the fish, fish right? right? Yeah. So like, right. So my own experience with that was I want to put as many fish in there as I can. Right. Uh, that keeps the water pH balance or right. whatever. But really for us, all we were really harvesting was, was plants. Anyway, we barely ever yeah. ate the fish. Yeah. And so what we, what I learned from him was the avail the, the possibility of removing all the technology mm. from these systems and making them viable for other countries. Um, the fact that you can take away all that fish, take away the pumps, take away the filtering systems and basically have a fish tank with a tiny little water pump and an air pump that you would run on an aquarium inside your house and be able to develop a system of, say, 64 square feet, which in his system gives you roughly 250 plants. And have that all built 
and done for less than $500 on a system that costs that you can use one bag of fish food for an entire year. Yeah. Have no filters to change. You can run it off of one 12 volt battery and one small solar cell. So this is super intriguing. Or were you, so are you using a biofilter? We don't use any filtration at all. No filtration. No, we let the roots be our filters. Okay, because there's so few fish right. that they're just you're able to extract all of that right. And our and our waste standard, slash nutrient. Yeah, our the, standard yeah. small scale system. I have a 200 gallon tank with seven tilapia. Seven. Seven. Okay. And my numbers are higher and better than they were if we had 20. So okay, this is interesting. So these. It's not one of the things beyond, so there's the specifics of the actual aquaponics I'm interested in, but then there's also just the case study in healthy ecosystems that all of this seems to educate right. me in, right? Like I'm like really interested in what it is that is productive or sustains life or things thrive in. So fewer fish. So these fish are workhorses. They are fertilizer production uh, exclusively. Yeah, right? that's all like they do. Yeah. They, they, they hang out and eat. Um, we feed them half a cup of food a day. Yep. And you're doing fish food. Yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah. yeah specific aquaculture food. We ran out of food a lot and I was feeding them a lot of duckweed yeah. out of the, out of the system out of the itself. System. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. Yep. Uh, but what, it, what I noticed from that is the plants suffer a little, it, it, it's a little pulling from the system. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so with the, with the fish food, your, your numbers stay good. You're, um, you don't need to add much iron. Yep. I mean, that's the only additive we put in is a little bit of iron. Yeah. That's it. Now, how many you've done this throughout the world or right. different places? Yeah. Like, tell me about some of those spots. Uh, well, we started in St. Lucia. Um, now we've, uh, we're working on a project in Uganda and another one starting soon in South Africa. Okay. Um, the system, what we found out is that these, these big giant systems are just so expensive. Yeah. You know, you're talking, it, for a family system just to run in one of those countries, they can't afford the electricity, mm. let alone the materials mm. to build one. Mm -hmm. um, everything's built out of wood, um, high, and it has to be high-end wood because it has to tolerate moisture. Pressure. Um, yep. So you go to places like the Caribbean where wood is a fortune. Is a, yeah. yeah. For, we, were we were paying for grade D plywood. Yeah twice what you would pay for grade a plywood here i remember trying to get wood in haiti and i was it's like, the same Good thing god yeah yeah so we've gone from using wood construction and having the the raft systems the deep water system to using pvc so we use four inch pvc as our conduit you're cutting holes and little grow netting right. pots Put or net pots like in yeah, there yeah yeah okay. um, and now i've gone from not even using the net pots to just using grow grips Okay. Um, it's just a styrofoam collar uh -huh. and you yeah. grow, you just stick the, the seedling in it yep. and the root grows and they, they, they seem to like it. They seem to tolerate that really well. Now, sorry, this is like, just cause I have some interest in this specific thing. Like I'm, I'm hoping to have a house here in the very near future and I want to put a system at my own place. Cause I've done this historically at the old well. Right. Um, Actually, with uh, Julie, who I think you know, but was trained by Phil Reasons, right? From, yeah, yeah. And uh, learn, I, and I also took Phil's class. Ton of stuff there. Did you? So, with the just my own experience, I remember doing some things with um, pipes or bottles or a bunch of different. We grew in all kind of different stuff, but uh, 
I remember roots kind of filling up pipes. Are you, is that a, it depends on what you grow. Okay. Um, and how, if you have a cut and grow mm-hmm. plant, like base right now, I have a basil tree, <laughs> a tree. And I'm not kidding. The it's massive. It's yeah. four feet tall Jeez. and it's gotta be six feet in diameter. Uh, and it's just out of curiosity that I've let it go. Yeah, like what what um, will this do? Yeah, so and that yeah, it has <laughs> it has a root system now that's about seven feet long, so it yeah, fills yeah. up an right. entire it fills up almost a ten foot section of PVC. Yeah, I mean they just pack it out. So it depends really on you and how determined you are mm-hmm. to harvest. Yeah, you know if you're going to grow stuff uh, like lettuce. They don't, they don't, you're never going to let it grow long enough. No, to, yeah, no, they you're have gonna, a very small root system. Yeah, same with cabbage. Um, but things that have things that are willing to grow and will grow, yep, they can bind those systems up. Yeah, for yeah sure. that I mean, I and I think some of that experience, like I did because I did at our old house, it was uh, I used an IBC tote, we put some right, we put some fish in there, and I ran just pipes over the top back and forth, right. you know, and that was one of the issues I had because I was circulating the water, yeah, and it started backing up or flowing over yep. or whatever. Um, so, okay. Different areas of the world that you've worked in. Um, I guess I'm curious about specific challenges you've ran into. Um, so one is you kind of rattled off, like here's a, co- a supply cost, but I imagine that changes around the world based on what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, like wood is, is far easier to get a hold of in South Africa and Uganda. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's cheap. So there we will do raft systems. You know, the only thing we have to import is the, um, the film, you know, to, to actually the lining for the, the troughs. Okay. So, so, so for those that aren't familiar, um, so you're building a box with a raceway, right. right? And you're lining it with something. So it holds water. Right. And the float system means basically something is floating on the water that has styrofoam or something like that, that you poke holes in and just like the holes that are in the PVC pipe. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and you're growing, you said you're doing like a 64 foot system that has, yeah, that's a very, our very small system is small footprint. Yeah. yeah, Small footprint. Um, it's two, four by eight sheets of plywood basically. Yep. Um, and a 200 gallon tank. Okay. And that's, that's like family style system, something that every four feet you plant and then you, you cycle. So you start your seedlings and next week you plant another set, another set. And by the time that last set of seedlings get to the end, they're fully grown. You harvest that. Yep. So it's a continuous cycle, man. That's so beautiful. Um, what, what, real quick, what's the 200 gallon tank? We use rain tanks. Yep. I don't know if the black, um, barrel. Basically, yeah. We chop the top off, yep. slit the top, and make a cover so it sits over top of that tank. Now, is one of those 200 gallons? One of those. They're 250 gallons, but you uh, lose a little when you hack the top yep, off. Yep, yep, yep. So what we found also is IBC totes mm-hmm. in a lot of countries are very valuable. Yeah. Uh, harder to get a hold of than they are here. You can pick them up here all day long for 20 or $30. Yep. They wanted in St. Lucia, the people that had them wanted four and five hundred dollars for the U.S. Mm. And I could go to the hardware store and pick up one of these rain catchment barrels. You know, I could we had thousand gallon ones that I could buy for three hundred dollars U.S. Yeah. So in our big system that we had there, we had two of those thousand gallon tanks mm-hmm. and two 80 foot raceways. Jeez. 
Okay. So I, I need to like for my own, I mean, for the sake of conversation, like I want to dig in hard on the, on the, on the, the actual fishing and this, and, and this is why I, it, what initially sparked my interest in like hearing about what you did, but talk to me about the, um, the people that you've worked with. Um, the majority of the people, how, what we normally did is we start and we'd find a little church. Okay. Uh, smaller, the better. Yep. Um, go in there and a lot of places are, you know, in the, in the Caribbean, especially you find a lot of Pentecostal, uh, churches or yep. seventh day. Um, they don't take to big burly guys with tattoos very well. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't fit in, but the kids, the younger people yeah, jumped on me. Sure. They, they absolutely loved it. And that's really what our target was. Uh-huh. My target's not the 50-year-old guy that's kind of set in his ways. I, I, I'm looking for this young man or woman that is in search of something that I can not only introduce to Christ, but then I can help give them some knowledge on how to be self-sufficient yep. and become less dependent. Mm-hmm. And, and that was our idea from the, from the beginning, was teaching people how to live a sustainable life on their own. Now, you have any, um, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you've got just stories of like the, so the, let's say the challenge of onboarding in terms of learning the, learning the actual systems, embracing them, right? So there's like, uh, so I don't know this thing you're showing me or necessarily have, didn't come to you with an interest in it. Like what, just talk to me about the relational introductory challenges there. What's cool is that most you know, we think we think of developing nations as people that are sitting there in these little tin huts or grass huts and have no connection with the outside. When nine out of ten of them have a smartphone and have watched oh, for sure. aquaponics on YouTube. Okay, yeah. So you you ha- a lot of them had been at least familiar with aquaponics. Yeah, yeah. and if and they're and they're you got to give them some so much credit for being so much smarter than you think. Sure. You say a word, they don't understand it. They may not ask you what that word is and what it means, but as soon as they're done talking to you, they Google it. Yep. And then they're on YouTube mm-hmm. looking to see what it is that you're talking about. Yeah. It's... And they're, and they're using that to validate you. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's YouTube. I trust YouTube. I trust the computer. I don't know you from Adam. It reminds me of like the, the Bereans went and checked the word to see if what he said was true. Right. It's like the same. It's like, same okay, I'm going to go thing. check the Google and see, yeah. <laughs> see if this man <laughs> the, is insane. The Google's going to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there, so it was a pretty easy kind of like people were familiar with it kind of on board. And then, and then in fact, I mean, I guess I don't know how technical your system can be with the kind of learning the system or balancing pH or maintaining a system. Really, really simple. When when you get down to the low density systems, really it's, I haven't checked our system in over a year. Really? Yeah. On the balance. Yeah. There's no need. Just let it be. That's appealing. Oh, ours we were on all the time. And I was when I, when I, corrective I, action. Yeah, when I first developed the the system that we have at home, I was I was every day I'm out there, I'm checking it, I'm checking the O2, I'm checking every bit of chemical, I'm looking, I'm you know, I'm freaking out. And within two weeks of adding fish, the thing had stabilized and was running perfect on its own. Mm-hmm. So then I added one row of plants and no change. And then I added a second row of plants and no change. Mm. Still the same amount of f- fish food. Um, 
water is a little murkier than other systems sure. because we don't use filters. Yep. I don't have any biofilters. I have a very small catch tank and a little foam filter on the pump that I clean once a month. Yep. Um, That's amazing. So the water's a little murkier, but it's so full, n- nutrient rich. Yeah. The fish are super happy. Yeah. They're very healthy. There's no disease. Space, yeah. yeah. They, I put some PVC down at the bottom, some four inch pipes and they hang out, they chill oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we generally not, it, it sounds bad, but we don't worry about babies cause they generally don't make it. Sure. Well, sure. You know, the, the big ones eat the little ones. Yeah. Or um, the filter. Well, the one our system was like they'd get sucked out. Yeah, we have. It. I have a good filtration in the tank, so yep. they can't get they through. can't get run through. Yeah, it's a gravity fed system, yep. and it's pumped back in. Yep. Um, so the we've had a couple of births, but I've never we've never had anything go you past. Yeah, you don't have like a little. Uh, you, yeah. it takes some. What do they call it? It's almost like a hatchery. Like I remember yeah. seeing Phil had set up like yeah. a bunch of little, yeah. and I was like, man, you got to, that took some constant attention to, yeah, it does. to get those out and into a safe place almost immediately. Yep. Um, and, you know, we found too, also in like in the Caribbean, they don't like tilapia to yeah. eat the fish. Mm-hmm. They don't want it. Yep. You, we couldn't give it away even if we did grow it. Really? Because they, they live on an island Yep. And every day, fishermen are out there bringing in fresh fish that they can buy a bag full for, you know, two or three dollars U.S. They can buy a grocery bag full of fresh fish. Oh, man. And and I mean, so I, I grew up because we were in Tampa. I grew up, I was fishing all the time. And I mean, just as a general rule of thumb is like saltwater fish are just so much right. better, like across the board. And the, the tilapia that they know are mudfish, bottom yeah, dwelling, yep, yep. dirty. So they have a, a bad reputation anyway. Even if you have them in, in, in a clean system and you cut one up and show them, man, this is pretty. It's perfect white meat, tastes great. And they're like, hmm. You know, it blew my mind because so when the well ended up getting kind of moved along from the neighborhood and we, we were saying goodbye, we had to shut that system down because, I mean, I couldn't tote it down the road. It was a huge swimming pool and whatever. And so we did a uh, kind of a block party going away kind of, it was right around Thanksgiving. So I was like, yo, we're going to have a big like gratitude, like for everything that happened here. We had all the neighbors over um, folks that we had been serving. And so we harvested and fried all of those tilapia. Right. And uh, well, almost all of them. We did hold a few back for like cooking it, you know, another meal with some of the team. And I got to say, like I had had, I had had plenty of tilapia over the years, like the store-bought tilapia, farm-raised tilapia, and I don't like tilapia either. Uh, and then I had these, and I was like, "This is not the same thing no. at all." Like this, this could be. It was, it was so rich and fatty. It was almost like a damn salmon. I mean, yeah. it was like this is so different because the they're they're not stressed. They're Man. fed well. They're happy fish. I, it blew my mind. I was like, this needs another name. You yeah. know, it needs a completely different name. I actually started looking it up. Like, man, there's, we could market these. Just do something completely different. Right. And, um, which I've heard them called St. Peter's Fish. So right. I was like, we'll just sell St. Peter's Fish. Don't Never say tilapia again because of the China tilapia or whatever that have really, you know, yeah. spoiled, put a bad taste in my mouth. Right. right? Literally. And figuratively. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Uh, so, Okay. How did you end up, how did you, end, like, so I want to get into some of your history or your, your kind of own backstory, but before that, like, let's just work our way the, the other direction. How did you get into any of this? Um, 
I guess uh, I would have to start post-military. Okay. So I, I served in the military, the Marine Corps, for 16 years. Um, they disbanded the unit that I was with, the Marine okay. Corps did. And I was given an option at that time to start a private intelligence company. Um, okay. Which I did. I came came home, started that, and made a ton of money. We had uh, at one one, at the end of it, I had 500 employees, 500 Jeez. full-time employees. Um, that was just here in the United States. And then we were spreading out, going internationally. Um, I personally was making a million dollars a year. Now you're, wow, beautiful. So you're, and you're, so it's a surveillance company. You're, and this happened as you transitioned out of the military. Is this right. implying like your your clients are really it's like governmental contracts and things like that? Pretty right? much, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like the private sector yeah, had, version had, of yeah, some of the work. Yeah, we had, had one done. one client exclusively. Okay, um, and worked for them. Yep. Um, and I found myself, you know, you you think I I grew up really poor, so mm-hmm. you think money is gonna make you happy. Uh, at one point I had 17 houses. I had a warehouse full of cars. The, the least expensive car was a, a fully restored 1967 DZ 302 Camaro Jeez. numbers matching $200,000 car that I drove twice. Wow. Um, motorcycles, boats. Um, I had a, a $90,000 watch. Where were you actually living during this time? I was living up in Land Lakes. Okay. Um, I had, uh, I purchased a house in Seven Oaks, um, and then I bought the two houses next to it. Yep. And I had them set up as government rentals mm-hmm. uh, through our company, and so people were living in those houses maybe two or three weeks a year. Mm-hmm. So I basically didn't have neighbors. I owned the the whole cul-de-sac. Wow. Um, so it was nice, you know. Um, <laughs> sure, that sounds, that sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not bad. Um, but honestly, man, I, I was I was never satisfied. Mm-hmm. There, there was nothing that was making me happy. Um, I went out to a bar one night by myself, and I met this young girl, and um, you know, we hit it off. Next thing I know, we're dating, and you know, she's got these two little daughters mm-hmm. that were just absolutely adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely fell in love with these two girls. The the woman I met, not so much. She was a little nuts, and mm-hmm. which was what I was attracted to. You know, my whole life was chaos. So the more chaotic of a woman you were, the more mm-hmm. I was attracted to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day, the, the little one said, hey, I want to go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend's going, and I want to go too. And, and I was like, well, can't I just take all of you guys to Disney or something? for like <laughs> Anything a, but that. For a week? <laughs> you know, at this point, I had, I had no relationship with yeah. God. I, I grew up a part-time Catholic. Yeah, me too. You know, I went to church. Irish. So what yeah, Irish. Do? Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> go to like church twice a year. Grandma's and, Catholic. What do you want? Yeah. There's a picture yeah. of the Pope in the house. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, I went, I went to church, this little tiny church in Zephyr Hills. Um, I walked in and this little old lady walks up to me and bear hugs me mm-hmm. and she says, welcome home. Mm. And it was just really weird because here I am in you know a t-shirt and jeans and covered from my neck down in tattoos. Everybody else is in suits and dresses and you know and I don't stand out. And this lady, she she meant it. 
Yeah. And I could feel that. I felt that, that honesty, that sincerity when I walked in and she goes, now we're having lunch after I want you to stay and I want you to sit next to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, okay. Turning that down. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, and I sat and I talked to her and her husband and, um, ended up going back the next week and took the kids and, mm-hmm. you know, I think three weeks later I actually bought a little Bible. Okay. Um, and I got home and I started reading it and I found myself sitting at my desk with my computer pushed to the side, all my work kind of pushed to the side and this little Bible sitting in front of me and I was spending hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, reading through this thing and then I'd bring the computer over cause there was stuff that I just didn't get. So I'm looking it up on the computer and I just really started, it started like taking over yeah. my life. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, I, I, this is feeling like that, that mental thing that I had, this desire to know stuff and to, and to feel things. Hmm. This is, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, I think two weeks after that, that day, I accepted Christ at that church Mm -hmm. and, uh, went up and, you know, the, the entire church, all 30 of them came up and, you know, they come (laughs) around you and and hug you and they're praying over me, man, I'm, I'm bawling like a little baby. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm feeling really for the first time in my life, this, this accepting kind of love yeah, that's real and genuine and not because I have a boat and a big house and cars and, yeah. or, you know, whatever, or because I'm, a, because I'm a Marine or, you know, whatever it is, it was just because I was a human being and these people wanted to love on me. Yeah. And that was real. Mm. Um, so a couple of weeks go by and I, I realized that my work is becoming far less important to me. My money is becoming less important to me. And I have this, this thought to myself and, and I, I, I believe, you know, that little voice in your head is really God telling you what to do. And I'm having this conversation as I, I pray which I I had started to do just my prayers might be different than most. I just kind of talk to God Yeah. throughout the day, you know, Hey man, this is what I'm feeling. You know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle this thing? And, Mm -hmm. and I hear, I hear it clear as day, Eric, I, I need you to get rid of everything and start over Hmm. because you're not on the path that you're supposed to be on. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I remember thinking to myself, no, (laughs) I really like this house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like my Mercedes. I, sure. I, I like this stuff. I'm very comfortable. And then it was like the thought came, are you really? Are you really comfortable? Mm-hmm. Well, why are, you, why are you awake at night? Why are, why are you never satisfied? Mm. Why aren't you happy? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, could, I had no answer to that. Mm-hmm. So I went back to that church and I talked to the pastor and I said, this is, this is what's going on. Yeah. And I said, I think God wants me to get rid of all my money and all my stuff and, and start over. And I don't know what to do. Mm. And he goes, you just, you have to do what God tells you to do. And just remember that if you're doing his will, he has a plan and he won't let you down. Mm -hmm. He'll provide for you. 
mm-hmm. don't think that that's going to be, you know, you're going to be homeless. Right. You know, don't, don't think that don't, don't go down that road with it. You know, you're not going to have stuff. He said, don't worry about your stuff. Yep. God will take care of that. Mm-hmm. So we sat down. Um, I called my attorney and I said, I need you to make a list of all the assets that we have. Um, all my personal assets, we're going to, we're going to get rid of everything. Jeez. <laughs> and my How'd... attorney laughed and he goes, what are you taking? Are you drunk? Yeah. And I said, like, no, I'm serious, man. I, I want to, I want to do this. I want to get rid of everything. And I said, I want to not only get rid of my stuff, but I'm going to turn the company over to the employees. You did that. Yeah. Now is the, so how did that work? Is it just company, the company went into shares or something? I don't want to deviate on that. I'm just curious about. Yeah. We, um, we took all the employees that were with us from the beginning, mm-hmm. the, the 500 yep. divided the company up into 500. Okay. And, and everybody so is an equal share. That's yeah. incredible. Um, also sounds like it could be very tough when it comes to making some decisions. Or whatever. No, but. you know, what was really cool is that the, everybody, was a former special forces guy. All of them. Every single person. Really? So decisions came from our client. Yeah. Oh, got it. Right. Yep. And you're just, it's a, you take the order, you do your mission, you're, you're done. And you're they, still soldiers. You're still, yeah. And they loved their jobs. Yeah, they really yeah, yeah. did. They appreciated it. They all got paid really, really well. Yeah. The only caveat that I had when I, I, what I, I rented out the Orlando Convention Center and I brought everybody there to, to, to tell, tell them the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Um, and I said, the only caveat is that I need every single one of you to sign this piece of paper that 10% of your paycheck every year will go to a charity. Yep. I don't care which one. Yep. Doesn't matter to me. Yep. But 10% of all the money that you own and that this company takes in goes to charity. Yep. And they all happily signed that they said absolutely man man we'll do that in heartbeat what year was that 2009 the beginning of 2009 so okay so you call up the attorney and you say hey help me do this i want to turn the company over assemble all my assets uh what did that actually practically look like for you because i because i know at some point you you end up transitioning to doing work and i think maybe were your own, like you were spending some of your own capital right to do the work that you've done. Right. That's yeah. Yeah. So what, what you, you were able to avoid fundraising for quite some time. Yeah. Which, uh, that's, um, that sounds so nice. What we did, um, I had 17 houses. Um, we found single moms mm-hmm. and we turned the houses over to them and then we paid the taxes and the utilities for two years. Mm-hmm for each one of those people. So they would have a chance to get caught up. Jeez. Um, and they, you know, these were not, these were nice houses. These so were these ha- houses, these just so we're understanding. So these, these single mothers, these families would take, so they were given the houses, right? They're covered on taxes and insurance Everything. for a yeah. few years. And then, and then after that, they, they have a house. It's not like it's a, there's a mortgage on it. Yeah, or no, they it's own just, it. They just free own, and clear. They own a house and yeah. can utilize whatever resources they have to and it manage was, the household. And th- they were given the option if the house was too much, too big, sell whatever, it, it's sell it. It's, yeah, it's the theirs. money. The money is yours. Buy something smaller. God, that's beautiful, man. How'd you come up with that idea? 
That was God. Did you know those? Had no clue. Had the pastor find them. Really? Yeah. The, the, all those houses were local? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Wesley Chapel, Land Lakes, um, two or th- no, three of them in Zephyr Hills. Now, did you relationally connect with those families or was it just done you know, through I, the work of the church? It was through the church. I, I didn't want. You stayed anonymous yeah, in it a bit? Yeah. Nice. Man. My whole, my whole, everything. It's so weird you say that. That So pretty much my entire military career has been anonymous. What do you mean? Everything that we've ever done in the work that we did is off book mostly. Mm. So it's not something that, uh, that you can go, I can say, well, I've been, I was part of that operation. It's like, we didn't have that. Operation. Yeah. That didn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never been there. None of us have. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And so that's kind of, I've all, I've had that. I've always aspired to not be known. Yeah. Um, so doing missions work out of that, being the, the head of this, of a, a nonprofit, Mm-hmm. is really difficult for me because I don't like that. I don't like, I don't want it to be about me mm-hmm. and my wife. Sure. I think it all always needs to be about Jesus. It always, mm-hmm. it always needs to fall in, into God's hands. Um, so fundraising was always a difficult thing for us because you're, when people want to donate to a cause, it's not just the cause, it's the person. The operator and yeah, yeah. sure. So you have to talk about yourself a lot. Yeah. And you have to say, this is my history. This is what I've done. This is why you can trust me with your money to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we, uh, my wife and I, who I met um, after I had money. (laughs) So wait, is this the, this is not the crazy woman with the two beautiful kids though? No. Okay. So uh, I'll go back to that. So I actually stopped seeing her but kept seeing the kids okay <laughs> um it sure is a you know a very weird thing and that happened um that relationship stayed until both of them uh savannah is now 23 married her high school sweetheart stayed a virgin until her wedding night um and sydney is now living in iowa with her grandpa you're still tight with these girls not as much yeah um since i got married sure sure i think um yeah. I think they had hopes. Yeah. You know, of uh, me and their mom, but it just, yeah, it never no, worked I get out. it. I yeah. get it. Um, but yeah, for, uh, you know, I got them through a hard part. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole high school awesome. teenager drama thing, they stayed their course and, and did really well. Man, that's awesome. So you meet your wife? Uh, yeah, I met her online. Okay. Which was really cool. Like eHarmony. Uh, what was it? Uh, Christian Mingle. Okay, Cupid. <laughs> okay, Cupid. Got okay, it. Okay. Cupid. Yeah. Nice. Um, I had I had gotten rid of all my assets and decided to go back to school. Yeah. So I'm going to St. Leo, and uh, St. Leo. Yeah, pursuing Good Catholic uh, boy. Yeah, I, I get, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, the political science and okay. international relations with a, a secondary in psychology. Now, curious, is that, was that just like, yeah, obviously because of my experience in the world and military, it was just an interest. Honestly, it was just something I was interested in that I thought I would have some sort of, not an impact, but I would be able to be captured by that. It would keep my attention. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, so 
for my own story, I, I ended up at USF and I started out an art major, but I was bored to death because so I've always been a good artist and you go to art classes and I'm like, they like draw a sphere. Like it started at like yeah. basics and I was like, I can't, I can't be an art major. This is, I can't sit through this, but I ended up going to religious studies and it was exactly that. It was like, well, I took a religion class and a philosophy class and those I was enamored with the conversation Yeah. and I didn't want the class to end yep. and every other class I wanted to hurt myself in. Yeah. And yeah, it was very similar. I can survive that just attention. Yeah. yeah. I never graduated because they, my, uh, my counselor, my guidance counselor or whatever you call him in college. Yeah. Um, he let me start off taking advanced classes. You know, I'm 38 years old. I have a lifetime of experience. Yeah. He's like, well, let me, let's, for the first semester, let's put you in some of these, you know, 10th or 11th grade or uh, sophomore and uh, junior classes mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. let you run through those and see how you do. So I had a 4.0, you know, I, I knocked them out. Um, so he kept me doing that. And then it comes time for my last year and I have all these freshman classes that I need to take to graduate. I hadn't taken a single required course like the prereqs. Yeah, I hadn't taken any of them. Surprising you got into the ones that come after, but okay, so you, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, he puts me in that, and I, I go in there, and I'm like, I can't. can't I can't even here. function. It's like me trying to be in that art class. Yeah, it was the I was same like, thing. I, I'm going to leave. I couldn't do it. I couldn't tolerate, as weird as it was, I couldn't tolerate being talked at like that. Yeah. Because it's, it's, not, it's not teaching, you yeah, know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, Le lectures and yeah. like rudimentary information. Yeah, it was and, so, and I, and I'm, I hate to say it, but I felt it was beneath me. And now I look back and, you know, I wasn't having any humility sure, <laughs> at that part. Sure. I was like, I'm paying for this. I don't want to be here. Yep. You know. So you didn't finish. Never finished. Now you, um, okay. So you ended up, but you, okay. So you had, I'm trying to keep the timeline. So you had, um, you had kind of liquidated assets, right? You had made these moves with the church. You'd become a Christian. Then you ended up back in college. Right. And this is around the time you meet your now wife. Correct. Okay. At Oh no, you met her online, met her online. while you yeah. were in college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She worked for the government, um, uh, for 19 years. Um, we started dating and she told her, one of her workers on our third date that she was going to marry me. Really? Yeah. We, our first date lasted, they were literally vacuuming and had shut all the lights off in the restaurant. Oh, wow. And the he manager, like didn't leave yeah, the yet. manager came. He's like, listen, I can see bounce. this is going well <laughs> and I hate to, to well bother you. Else. Um, but yeah, I'd like to go home. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, and our second date was the same. Go ahead, Cupid. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> It's amazing how many stories like that I hear now too. Like I remember when I first heard like the first one, I was like, really? And then, I mean, it's just common yeah. now. And actually, I mean, I haven't had experience with dating sites, but I know like just the way algorithms work with even like music tastes where right. I go, my Pandora station is now perfect. Yeah. Spotify is perfect. You know, where it's like, it knows you well enough over yeah. time. I'm like, why wouldn't the same thing work with compatibility? And yeah. Why? Yeah. It, uh, it's super fascinating to, uh, to learn about that. So you guys have been together how long now? We've been together, married five years together, nine years. Nice. Yeah. And we got married in 2014. Yep. 
became missionaries and moved out of the country the next year. That was my next question. So, so, so that was kind of part of the, your, so your married life really has been working together. Yeah. Partners in the work. Yep. Um, so I think that's a good, I mean, just fodder for, for the topic of this show, even just like talk to me about working in partnership with in and with your most intimate relationship. It's, it's awesome. Um, and I, I think and I'll, I'll preface that by saying we had three years of counseling before we got married. We okay. went through three years of Christian counseling. Now you were, so you were dating yeah. that long. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, so we were able to really work out a lot of those things that a lot of people struggle with mm-hmm. prior to getting married. Um, we, um, we just, we really learned how to communicate. We learned how to read each other and know each other's personalities and, you know, your little foibles and these, these different little things that everybody has your, what triggers you or what triggers me. Let, and, let me ask you something. Cause I, you know, I was asking about working together, but this is, this is also interesting. And I think I, I haven't had a lot of opportunities set up for this kind of a question about work. Um, because counseling is internal work and it's, you know, we often don't think about all the work we yeah. have to do on ourselves. Uh, and you know, arguably we should be working harder on ourselves than at our enterprise really right. and to be what we need to be for that, whether that enterprise is a relationship or that enterprise is a business or a mission or whatever. And so, um, and then you did this in relationship. I, I, I'm just curious if you can share about some of that work. So the relational work, the internal work, the counseling work. Yeah. It, um, it was, it, it was a hundred percent work cause we had homework, you yeah. know, our counselor, she, she would hear us and, and she would, she would listen to us and, and say, all right, I need you to do this and I need you to do this. And then I need the two of you to come together and do this together. Um, and it was great. It's the, it's, you know, your typical team building scenario okay. where each person's given a task, yep. they complete their task. You get together, you talk about that task mm-hmm. and then mutually work out how you can make your differences work. Yep. Um, and that, that was the essence of three years of going through that and you know both of us going through really big life changes she had been married before mm-hmm. uh for 16 years yep um traded in for a 20 year younger model mm-hmm. so you know she had a lot of there were a lot of issues there a lot of a lot of baggage came from that yep um did not have a good household to grow up in i did not either really yep. we both were very poor mm-hmm. uh growing up so we had that in common. That yep. was that was a good thing. Yep. Um, but we both have really strong work ethics. Mm-hmm. We both have. I started my first job when I was six, mm-hmm. and she started hers when she was seven or eight. But oddly enough, doing the same thing, going around the neighborhood and pulling weeds. Okay. For fifty cents a shot. Yep. Um, and then p- both of us progressed to real jobs. I had my my first real job was my neighbor was a manager at a 7-Eleven. I was 13 years old, and she used to pay me $5 a day to come in before opening, before mm-hmm. school. So at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'd ride my bike two miles to this little 7-Eleven, and I would do what they call front and dust. Mm-hmm. So you stock, you pull all the stuff yep. forward on the shelves and dust everything. Take me about an hour. I love front and shelves. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean, it was $5 cash yep. every day. Yep. And, you know. How old are you? 13. Okay. Yep. And that's not bad. 
for a 13 year old and um i wasn't so that would have been 1983 yeah um a big big jump from the 50 cent weed pulling thing yeah yeah um and like i said we, we grew up pretty poor um i used to give half of my money to my mom okay um a lot of it to buy groceries and it wasn't the fact that she didn't have a good job she was a nurse but she had a, a really big heart mm-hmm. so her sister and brother both lived with us and neither of them worked really yeah so how it, many of you siblings uh i have no siblings it, so it was you it was me mom aunt and uncle aunt and uncle and aunt's two kids mm, and my cousins. mom was the only one working. were your cousins your age they were older like three or four years older yeah okay yeah. Um, so my mom, you know, was basically supporting all of us, Jeez. which, you know, I mean, she's a nurse, she made good money, but when you're dividing that no, amongst that many thin. people yeah, and so you, yeah, yeah, only goes so far. Do you remember? So I am, uh, I'm getting married next year. Um, I am building and working on my own internal work and our own relational work and, uh, I'm curious if just for my own sake and maybe people listening is, do you remember any specific exercise that you all did that you go, Oh, I, this is one that you should go do five love languages. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. That was the first, that was the first thing to, to, cause you have this perception in your head of what your mate wants. Yeah. 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 Based on what you want what, or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Sure. And what the world's, you know, what you see in the world and other couples and what you see on TV or whatever. Um, uh, yeah. And so you, you take this little test and you read the book and you know, we took that and we practiced it. We put it into practice immediately hmm. and it completely changed our demeanors towards each other. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, she, she's a touch. You know, that's her number one. She needs that connection, that physical connection. Yep. She needs, she needs me to hold her hand and she, she loves the fact that I do that and everywhere we go, I'm attached to her. Yep. Um, and it's not an intimate thing, you know, it's nothing sexual. It's just, she has that mm-hmm. connection and I'm affirmation. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, as, as odd as it sounds that, you know, that, Hey, good job. That really means something to me. Yeah. You know, especially coming from your wife, because mm-hmm. I know she means it. She's not just saying it to, you know, check off a box. He likes to be affirmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm familiar with the book, and it's actually come up quite a bit. We've we've talked through some of that. And, um, and for those of you listening that haven't, uh, yeah, it's an incredible template of um, lenses to go through and, and ways that I've realized, you know, it's, it, you know, and the big thing that stands out to me is, and I, there are some things that like the lowest for me, um, is gift giving. Same here. And I'm like, I don't want a gift. Like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, to be left alone. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, well, maybe not alone, but I don't want to, I don't want to like, I, and I, I love, like I get a gift. I'm super grateful and like, that's super thoughtful, whatever, but it's not like I have a high, it's not a high value you know. set. Yeah. And, but that means I suck at giving them. Right. Like it actually translates. It doesn't like if you, if, if you, if that means a lot to you, like I thought about you, I went and picked this. Like I take, for me, it's a, it's a lot of work to express right. love in that way because I And if your significant other, if that's, that's her right, that's one, right. it's going to take work. Tons of work. Yeah, man. That's good. Okay. So you hit on being six years old and pulling weeds. Um, now 
not all work is done in exchange for money, right? right. Just like what we're talking about now in eternal, eternal, internal work is, which maybe you're similar, but they're not, you're not doing in exchange for money. It's, it's some sort of like a work toward an end, toward a goal, right. sacrificing for something. What is your first memory of work? And it, and it could be that pulling weeds at six years old. I'm not saying it can't be in exchange for money, but like something you're like, this is something I worked at. I think it would be trying it when I was younger, trying to keep. So, so my, I'll go back to my mom. She was a nurse. She worked the three to 11 shift. Okay. Um, so she'd come home 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, and my aunt and uncle were night owls. And I remember getting up as a, a very little kid and asking them to be quiet. So my mom could sleep. Jeez. And I, and I think, you know, I was, it was, it was weird. Cause you know, it was just my mom and me for probably five or six years. Yep. Um, and then this flood of these people coming in, um, so I felt it was my job mm-hmm. to protect my mom, you know, mm-hmm. to take care of her because she was providing for all of us. Yeah. So I, I remember going out, you know, in my little whitey tighties with my Winnie the Pooh saying, <laughs> you people need to be quiet. Yeah. And on a regular basis, it was, Jeez. you know, it was a little kid. You need to respect my mother. Yeah. This is her house. Yep. On the job. <laughs> I dig it. Uh, what, what got you started pulling weeds when you were six? My, uh, my grandfather or actually my great uncle and great aunt lived in a retirement community. Um, so I, I did not like the company of my aunt and uncle and her children. So after school I would go stay with them mm-hmm. in their place and, uh, I would do chores for them all the time. And I remember one of their neighbors asking me to do his, this older guy named Alan. I was like, sure. Um, I went over and I did it. And then he gave me 50 cents. I'll do more of that. And I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) You know, I'm six, six years old, 1976, 50 cents would get a kid a lot. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Sure. You know, you could go to the store with 50 cents and walk out fat and happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then he told some people and before you know it, I've got like a lawn service. That's awesome. You know, at six years old, I'm making seven or eight dollars a week. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I was I was loving it. It was it was awesome. It was the best. How do you think that early um experience of kind of working, kind of getting rewarded, getting paid, f- having that feeling of fulfillment? going chipping in at home going and grabbing some stuff from the store like how do you think that shaped you or contributed to things you would do later oh i think it it made a huge impact um i think that there was also a conscious decision to not let my mom's choices have an effect on me Okay. That, you know, it, it, she, she let these people kind of manipulate her. Oh, so a lot of this is wrapped up with her brother and sister. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, I made a, I made a conscious decision as a young kid not to make myself a victim of that. So I spent a lot of time in school. Any chance I got to go do something for work, I did. Yeah. Um, versus the opposite. I think that a lot of young kids today find something troublesome 
Sure, you can go either way. Yeah. To get but into something else. Yeah, to do I didn't want to get in trouble, man. I didn't. That uh, just wasn't my nature. Yeah, so I'm curious about that. The the you, you saying nature is kind of the question. Like, did, did was there someone? Was there someone mentoring, someone Prob- guiding? Like, yeah, how, like, probably my great uncle, my okay. uncle Bill. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I, he, I did not find this out until literally he was on his deathbed. He had been with the CIA, uh-huh. um, his entire life. Never brought it up. Never brought. I never knew. Yeah. Um. So, but he was he was constantly guiding me to a path. Mm-hmm. You know, and always in, in trying to inspire good things mm-hmm. in me. He always had positive things to say. Even if I screwed something up, there was a lesson to be learned. Yep. You know, it wasn't, there was never a name calling, never, you know, the, the putting down mm-hmm. type thing. It was always a, a positive hmm. place. And I loved, I loved being there. I loved being around those two. They'd been married, uh, when he passed, they'd been married 57 years. Wow. So how do you go from there? So there's a huge leap, I know, from there. Then you worked at 7-Eleven. And then how do you end up in the military? Um, after he died. Um, how old were you? I was 14. Okay. So it kind of left me in a really weird place. You sure. Know? Um, I started to become very angry. Uh, went into high school, so I, I started play, I played every sport I could. I played football, baseball, I weightlifted, I wrestled. Anything that I could do to exert energy yep. and hit something, Yep, I did. Were you pretty like hardy then? Like, yeah, you, I was, yeah, I was yeah. a big kid. Yep. Yeah. I, um, in ninth grade, I benched 250 pounds. Wow, okay. I was, I was, a, I was a big kid. Yep. Um, and I caused a lot of damage. And, you know, playing football and yeah. I, I hit people hard mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and that was a, you know, and I, I, I felt the weird thing happening inside of me, like this happy go lucky little kid. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was changing, mm-hmm. you know, and I was becoming very angry and a lot of it was because of my home situation. Um, at 15, my mom married some guy. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I looking back on it, he was, he was good to her. Mm -hmm. He, he didn't work, but he really treated her nice. He, Mm -hmm. he really did. And she needed that and she deserved it, but I wanted no part of that. Right. So, you know, it sounds, I mean, he didn't, you just saying he didn't work makes me just think like the nut because her brother and sister. Yeah. It was, and that's just how she was. You have a sore spot there already. Yeah. It's like, there's no way to accept that. Yeah. I can't, you're not going to, you know, they all move out and things start to normalize and then you move in and yeah, yeah. That makes that again. Really? Sure. Um, so there, I had a lot of anger and frustration built up. Um, and I, anyway, I was in school. I don't know. After I was after school, probably six hours a day. Um, until I was 16, then I got my first real job. Uh, I worked at a rubber stamp factory, really old school rubber stamp factory where they used to make rubber stamps from molten lead molds. Jeez. So I worked in the lead shop. Okay. So 200 degrees, you know, you're sitting here next to this pot and you're making the molds out of a lead cast. Uh-huh. So on this reverse type set machine and the artist would make a thing and you'd have to cast it into this little mold so wow. they could cast it into a rubber stamp. Wow. Um, 
That doesn't even exist anymore. No. Yeah. No, it's all lasers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that was a that was my first real job, and that was a good outlet because I was beat when I left. Yeah. Yep. Um, I stayed doing that for two or three years, and then uh, I was a senior in high school. Um, I chose actually to go to summer school back when you could, mm-hmm. and so when I I took all I took my required classes during the summer. Yep. So I'd have. When I was a senior, I had five electives. So did I. Yeah, I was yeah. in all agriculture. Yeah, so I took carpentry and plumbing and auto body and mechanics. All, awesome. all these things yeah. that I thought, well, man, I'm going to need this someday. Yeah. You know, I took home ec. I learned how to sew and cook. Um, and then I took the ASVAB. I did really well. And um, this Marine Corps recruiter, yeah. he saw me in the hallway and he, he just kind of bumped into me and you know, he said, uh, I've been looking for you. And I was like, what did I do? You know? Yeah. And he, so I went and I talked to him for a little bit and he, he listened to me. He, he just sat and I talked to him for like two hours mm-hmm. about, you know, my life and you know, my home and this and that. And man, he, he genuinely just listened and paid attention. And he said, well, here's my number. Here's my personal number, man. If anything I can do for you, give me a call. He didn't try to push the Marine Corps on me. He didn't say that that was an answer. He just basically became a friend. Hmm. Um, later on towards the end of that year, I had, I was getting ready to graduate and I had a big, big blowout at home. My stepfather said something to me and, uh, I, I went in my room and I grabbed the 357 that my, my great uncle had left for me mm-hmm. in his will. And I went outside and I fired off six rounds at my stepfather. I didn't sh- at him at him. Yeah. I didn't shoot t- to actually hit him, but enough Did. that he knew I meant <laughs> business. <laughs> um, and that would be the last day that I saw that house. Um, until, now, is this because you stormed out or because you I left. were put out? Or yeah, I a left. little bit of both, yeah. Uh, I left, and I had a, a little storage area that I had rented. I was working on cars and stuff at the time Yep. at night, and so I just moved in there. Yep. And this recruiter found out that I was living there. I was still going to school. Yep. I was still maintaining grades and everything. I was just living in a, you know, a six by ten. Container. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, he found out. He's like, man, you can't live there. So he moved me in with him. Mm. Um, and then for the next three or four months, as I finished school, he just kind of mentored me. And he still never pushed the Marine Corps. But I found myself wanting to be like that. Mm. I, I wanted what this guy was doing, I wanted to do. Yep. Um, so I asked him, and, and he signed me up, man. And I went uh, three days after my birthday. Yeah. After your 18th? Yeah. Yeah. Are you still in touch with that guy? Uh, he's passed. He's passed. Yeah. You stay in touch with him throughout? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it sounds like a real relationship. Yeah, he was, a, he was a cool dude. Tell me about going to the military. That was fun. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, first like first few days there, what was... It was a, a, lot of, a lot of chaos, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of people freaking out, a lot of people crying. I loved every second of you it. You like that. That's yeah. Your, yeah. It was, it, it was 
everything was in an order and it had a fashion. Everything had a place to be and a time to be. And I liked that. Yep. I liked mm-hmm. that there was no, to that chaos that everybody thought was order to me. Mm. I felt it. All right. Well, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, I know what to expect. Yeah. I know what to expect. And, and, you know, you come back from training and somebody hadn't made their bed the right way. And, you know, the, everything in the barracks is upside down. Everybody's belongings are thrown in the middle of the floor. Beds are flipped. I mean, you know, the really? place looks like a tornado went through. Now, you know what to expect if one person in your platoon makes a mistake. Yeah. So now they've got you working on your brotherhood, making yep. sure that you check on the guy next to you. That guy's checking on the guy next to him. Yep. And there's this circle that everybody watches each other. Some accountability. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I like the fact that the guy over here was making sure I did my job. Yeah. And I was making sure that guy did his job. Out of a little bit of self-interest. and a little At, Well, bit of, yeah. yeah. It's like we were Absolutely. all in this together, basically. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if this is directly related. I just, it just struck me the other day. I, there's a book called stealing fire that, um, it, the book is about like, let's say ecstatic technology. So like it's in it, it's talking about like there's people in the military or scientists or Silicon Valley people trying to the, the, it's kind of the Prometheus, like steal fire, give it to mankind. Right. right? It's trying to you know, whether it's using hallucinogenics or trance states or meditation, trying to like peek over the mountain, so to speak. Right. But one of the examples in it, um, and it, and it kind of has to do with like sync. So flow state and then sinking of groups mentally and the military was a huge example. And they were saying something like a hell week, um, that's seals, right? Or is there a couple? Yeah. They they all have have a hell week. So there's like, there's a hell week. And if I remember right, he said like the, the main thing that they're filtering for, uh, isn't necessarily like strength or capacity or like it is the ability to operate as a unit. Yep. Right. So if you, and and they're like, actually there are people who are for whatever reason, psychologically not going to sync up like others and some that do it very naturally and easily. But like when you function as a team, uh, in the military or wherever it's like you, you, you function as one. Yeah. And they're like, and, and that's how it actually plays out. Like when you're on an operation and people are moving, you move, it's like a school of fish. Like yeah. we actually have one mind, yep. one goal. Um, and what we're filtering out is the guy that does that doesn't work for. Yeah. That's super fascinating to me. And then as you tell that story, it just triggered the memory going, Oh, and it, and it, and you start figuring that out around, the day-to-day practices, discipline, making yeah. your bed. Well, yeah, and you'll come in and there'll be nobody in that bed next to you. What do you mean? They People drop oh, all the out. time. You're yeah, out. Yeah. They just can't take it. Sure. So, yeah. you know, you start off with 100, work your way down to like 82. Now, are, is that self-selecting out or are people also There's put both. out? You're, bo- you're yeah. like, yeah, you're yeah. not fit for this, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. What, so... One of the things that have like I have, it's it's it, I have like an interesting um, vantage point on this. So I have no military experience. I couldn't possibly be in the military because of my car accident. I'm body full of metal and all this stuff. And then I'm also like just let's say philosophically not interested in war, right? right. Like just I don't I don't want to be part of that personally. Um, however, 
like I listen to soldiers. Uh, you know, there's a couple that are really well known right now. Um, Jocko Willink, um, David Goggins, like, but, and, and there's a handful of these folks that have just, they're teaching leadership and right. work ethic and these different kind of things out of military experience. And I realize, like, man, there's something about the military that I am tremendously, it's, it has a tremendous appeal to me. Like you're saying, working as a team, having order, clear goals, yeah. uh, you know, uh, chain of command. Like there's ways and, you know, uh, even just like, and, and honestly, even things around, like I look at the world and think of how much work we have to do between ethnicities and races. And I go, the military has led the way yeah. in, in bringing people together like brothers or teammates across racial lines, across yeah. well, economic lines. In the Marine lines. Corps, it's a common thing. There are no colors. Everybody's green. Mm-hmm. You're either light green or dark green. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and that, that was a, a very common thing because there are a lot of, you know, you get a lot of, there's a lot of racism initially. Yeah. You get, you throw a, you throw a hundred people in that come from all over the country. Yeah. And there's, there's that problem. Problems, and it gets yeah. beat into your head really quick. That, you know, that guy, he is not black. That guy's not Hispanic. That guy's not white. You're all green. You're all Marines. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And, you know, that's your brother. And you better you better watch out for him. And yeah. he better watch out for you. You're going to have each other's back here. Yeah. I'm just curious if you're able to just look over your own experience and go, uh, I'm going to pull out a few, like, lessons from that period of life and say, like, to me, to anyone listening, just in terms of going, look, whatever the project you're working on is, whatever the thing you're doing is like, what are, what are some of the core maybe lessons that you, you took away out of your experience in the military? Go on. Motive is the, is, has to be the number one factor in determining your outcome. Okay. Um, if you, if you go in, to the military and you know, they, they're able to weed these guys out. If they're, if you've got a guy whose motive is just to kill somebody, mm. that guy is really, he's easily seen. You, you don't know, want a psychopath. You don't want that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with a job. You know, if, if you're, if you go into any work experience and your motivation is simply to build yourself. Yeah. And not the company you work for yeah. or the guys next to you. You, everybody around you is going to see that. Yeah, it's true. I can, okay, so that makes sense to me in my own experience with even my own nonprofit or yeah. work that we've done where I'm like, if I see that you just want to be a, the leader, you're the last person that'll be the leader. Yeah. Right? Like, and there, and there's the, a part of, there's a part in every person that wants to teach humility. Yeah. To somebody who is not. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it comes out in the workplace. It comes out even harder because you know that that costs you financially and yeah um but yeah motive to me has always been my number one driving force to do that self-examination why am i doing this what is my real reason yeah is it um is it to put you know bread on the table is it to put food on the table for my family is it you know to bring you know glory to god mm-hmm. is it, what what is my motive um, my motives now, everything I, I try to do is to bring glory to God. 
Yeah. So I was thinking about that because when we talk about work, a lot of times, you know, I've talked to athletes that are working on their skill. I've talked to people talking about work as in their job or vocation and, and, and the question of why they're doing what they're doing or motive is super important and it, and it changes a lot. And I know in my own work, like, uh, you know, we work with homeless folks or folks that are hurting or on the streets. And, and the, the reality is, and I've had to acknowledge like, and I try to echo often, like I come to those with need, like I need these people in my life and it is not completely altruistic. Like there's something reciprocal here. Like right. they have something I need and I might have something they need. And I, I actually think it's better that way. It's beautiful that way, but it's healthier for me to recognize it. And it was a hard lesson at one point. Um, was actually a counselor. I was in a, I was, I was at a group kind of gathering and there was this guy who'd spent his life as a, as a kind of mental health counselor. And this dude was like, as far as I'm concerned, he was like a Jedi. And, um, and he said, well, why do you think you work with all homeless people? And I was like, well, because like, you know, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, it's bullshit. And I was like, uh, no, like it's pretty explicit. Like I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. He's like, right. Yeah. No, Jesus said that. And following Jesus could lead you to that. But you think that's why you do it? And I was like, yeah. What, what other reason would there be to do it? And he's like, I mean, I, I can think of some, I don't know why you do it, but I could imagine why someone would fill a room full of hurting and unhealthy people. So they feel like they're strong or healthy. I could see why you'd want to get around. Yeah, and it, I, he and he laid into a litany of these things that just hurt to hear. I were out, but, but what was so good about that for me was to go, and I think that what I walked away from that I, it took me a long time processing all of that right. was to say like none of it is completely altruistic. Um, there's always self interest or or even we come to stuff with a need to be needed or a need to be wanted, or, you know, it's like the same stuff we picked up when we were six, you know, that we carry into these other circumstances. But I don't know. I'm curious if, if, um, if you're familiar with some of those in yourself, but also just like the, if you want to respond to that, like, let's say the mixed motive, right. That is kind of inherent in us as just human beings. Yeah. Um, I mean, how, how do you, cause you go, I try to do what I'm doing to bring glory to God, to bring. Right. And well, and I, I, I think I would respond to that saying that if in, for me, my motive, yep. my selfish part of that is that I get to bring glory to God. Mm-hmm. And, and cause I look at my life and I look at all the chaos and just the, the negativity and drama, um, that I had in my life before I, I really acknowledged God and I, and I accepted his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. My life now, there's chaos isn't even a word that's in our vocabulary. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, I have an amazing relationship with my wife. That's awesome. I've, God has surrounded me with people who are there, you know, for me constantly that if I need them, you know, but it, it's, it's, I have this giant positive ring yeah. around me. Yeah. And I know that's him. It has nothing to do with me. I didn't, I mean, I sought it out, that emptiness sure. inside of me. That's what I was looking for my whole life. Yep. And he gave it to me. Mm. So now by me being able to do things for him yep. brings me pleasure. 
It's like it's a that is the reciprocal part for me that I get to do things. I get to basically do what he said. Hey, man, if you if you do this, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. And I say, all right, I'll do that. It's cool, isn't it? That when you do, it's like you do the thing you were created to do it. It is you work really hard at those things, but it doesn't really feel like work. It's play. Yeah. Right. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's the thing that I hope for for everybody. I mean, I recognize that there are going to be people that need to do the you, know, you got to take the trash out. Yeah. Right. And yet. Those things can be done with joy and with meaning and with purpose Absolutely. to go, man, I am all because in some sense, all of our system of society and order functions because there's the dude serving all of us in that way. And we need to highly honor and, and give gratitude and, and, and finance to those people that are, that are taking care of those things, man, it's really beautiful. It, it, It feels like it sets up a question that I've been trying to ask everyone I talk to. Um, what is success? Hmm. To me personally, yeah. Um, I think success to me is realizing purpose, mm-hmm. understanding why I was created, and not questioning what's going on around me. Mm-hmm. Having having the that that complete and total faith in God's sovereignty mm-hmm. to not have to question why did that happen? And to know that I, I was created for his pleasure mm-hmm. and that if, if I simply do the tasks that he gives me, that I'm falling in line with, with his plan. I like, I, I try to explain to, people that there's a straight line and there it starts at a and goes to B mm-hmm. and God wants you to follow that line. Mm-hmm. And that line may have some ups and downs, sure, but it's a straight line. And when you submit to his will, you'll get to follow that. Our will will take us to the left mm-hmm. and to the right and to the left and to the right. So we're eventually gonna end up at the end of God's line and, mm-hmm but it's those things that we go left and right that have all the negative consequences when we make our own choices. Deviate. Yeah, we deviate from that plan. So success to me is being able to follow that line Mm. and not having those deviations anymore. So my my decisions, I hope, you know, and and it's my prayers, my wife and I try to be in unity Mm -hmm. on the things that we do, that our decisions are what God wants for us Mm -hmm. and our life is a reflection of that yeah you know we our lives are chaos free we have ups and downs like everybody else yep um but you know it's i I think that to me is success it's really good at moving toward that sacred voice that is calling um what so when we started I asked you about what you're doing now, and then I got I started drilling in out of my own just personal interest and tell me more about the raising of fish. Um, but I wanted to circle back, and uh, I know we're coming up toward time, and I also just wanted to say, like, well, one, thank you for spending this time and sharing oh, your pleasure, story man. as openly as you have. And but I I I I'm curious about the um, 
the current state of the work you're doing. I know you've been mentoring an individual in kind of the systems as well as just yeah. like in leadership and whatever. And um, I don't know if you want to just just tell us all about what you're doing now and what's next for you guys. Okay. So what we've what we've decided, and this is this has been a two year process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been praying for God to give us our next mission. You know, use us. And something. So, we, you know, my my initial plan is uh, we were drawn to Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even remember how. I think we met somebody at church at um, on one of their missions meetings. There mm-hmm. were two people there from Uganda that ran a, a mission there, and we initially were going to go there and work with them mm-hmm. and teach them sustainable life practices, but we just didn't click. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we stayed focused on that on that area. Uh, there's a huge need, you know, there. But there's also a, I guess, a, an overflow of orphans. Um, you know, people really in need. There's a, there's a bunch of kids that have nowhere to go. Yeah. And right now they're teenagers, and they could go. You know, the the, the statistics show that. 95% of the boys end up in prison and mm-hmm. 99% of the girls end up in the sex trade. 99. 99%. Um, so our, our plan, our initial plan was for our nonprofit to go there and build a village um, for these kids who are aging out of the orphanages. And we were going to teach them how to build their own houses, teach them how to do plumbing, teach them sustainable farming, animal husbandry, you know, the, the whole nine yards. So they would be as sustainable, as self-sustainable as po- as humanly possible. At least have access to the knowledge of how to do that. Right. They, like they yeah. can feed themselves and have shelter. Yep. And have clean water. Yep. You know, which is going to be 90% more it's than huge. they would have anyway. It's huge. Um, well, it's a source of personal power and self-determination right then right but after you know after two years of going through this and you know taking counsel from a lot of very wise men um we've completely changed our the way we're going to do things Mm -hmm. with the same mission in mind and that's Mm -hmm. basically just getting back to what jesus told us to do he said go out and make disciples and i'm like well how you know how do we do that how do we how do we get away from this massive project of, you know, a multi-million dollar missions project? Because that's like, I need a bunch of land. Yeah, man. It was going to be a, mil- a million dollars minimum Yeah, for us to do that. And coming from my wife and I, who have never asked anybody for a nickel mm-hmm. to do anything, that we were petrified. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to kid you. That was, you know, every day's prayer is, God, how are we going to do this? Yeah. How am I going to stand up in front of a, a bunch of people with just a picture of a piece of land and an idea yeah. and say, I need a million dollars. Yeah. Um, so it's been transformed into just getting back to the basics. My wife and myself working from our home, going to Uganda, um, finding a guy there that we can raise up somebody that I can mentor somebody that we can turn back into having a, a patriarch of the family, which mm-hmm. is something that Africa lacks now. Mm. It's a huge matriarchal society. The mm-hmm. men have little respect and power without violence. Mm. They've they've lost that ability there. That if they if they're if they're not violent, they're not respected. Mm-hmm. 
So it's hard for them to live in a home, um, let alone be a, a, ma- a dad and yeah. you know a provider. So we have we have found the guy. That his name's Steve Amoni. He um, is the former captain of the Uganda national basketball team. Who Steve himself has a, a great story. Wow. Um, how he came to Christ. How he he basically trained himself to be a basketball player. Really, he realized at a young age that school in Uganda was not for him, Mm. that he wasn't learning anything. Um, And he saw Michael Jordan play and he's like, I want to do that. Hmm. So he got a basketball and for eight to 10 hours a day, this kid would go out and practice on his own. No coach, no nothing. Wow. And he became the captain of the national teams played all over the world. Wow. Um, So you want to talk about work ethic. You know, here's a kid that is in a preteen to a teen teaching himself a sport. Yeah. And 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 becoming that good at it that he's, you know, a celebrity in Uganda. Seems like a good guy to be able to start with. Yeah. How did you happen upon that relationship? So this is so cool. My wife and I went to a marriage seminar at church. Um, one of our pastors there, we were talking about Uganda, you know, what our mission was going to be. Um, and he says, don't go anywhere. He runs and he, he, he goes and comes back and he's got this guy and his wife introduces him. And this guy's obviously African mm-hmm. speaking, you know, a very harsh accent. He's from Uganda. Mm-hmm. He's a pastor in Uganda. He's visiting or something. Uh, he has married this American. Okay. And is now living here, um, but they were running a, a school over there. Okay. She heard her back. They had to come back yep. um, for some rehabilitation. So okay. he just happened to be at that marriage seminar living here. Incredible. Um, became instant friends, man. This guy, he's like my brother, man. We, we think exactly the same, told him what we wanted to do, um, stayed in contact and said, all right, let's take a trip there, me and you. Um, and we'll just go, we're going to go look for land. We're going to, we're going to just, you're going to introduce me properly to Uganda. Yep. Um, so we went and this guy, Steve meets us at the airport and lo and behold, he has volunteered to be our driver for the week to take us around. And this is, this is Steve, not the guy that was at the, ah, okay. 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 What was the guy's name you met at the church? Claver. Okay. Okay. I confused them. Okay. So, so Claver and I get, get, you know, get, we get off the airport or get off the airplane and, you know, Steve and Claver's father are there. Um, but Steve volunteers to be our driver for the whole week, take us everywhere we need to go. And, and it was, man, you, you ever just meet somebody and you feel humbled in their presence from, yeah. From, you just get that feeling like, man, this guy is, this, there's something special, special. about yep. this yep. guy. I know exactly and the way about. he talks and, you know, and you can just see it in his eye, the sincerity of, of things. And when he's telling me the story about school and, you know, how he felt and he, how he feels for the kids today. And what nailed it for me is one of the days we were driving in, um, I pulled out a bag of uh, beef jerky that I brought with me. When I travel anywhere, I always bring food because mm-hmm. you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had never seen beef jerky. Wow. Yep. So he's eating. He's like, this is awesome. It is awesome. You know, he's like, this is, <laughs> this is great. What is this? I said, this is, it's cow. 
And he's like, you know, he's has he can't even fathom the concept of cow in a bag. <laughs> so we we pull over a couple hours later for lunch and we're on the smartphone in and he's looking at videos on how to make beef jerky. Yeah. And his first thought, and this is what just blew me away, man. He goes, I need to figure out how to get this to kids here. Mm. How long will this stuff last in a bag? How can I make it? What kind of meat do I need? And what do I need to process it so I can get it to the kids here so they don't have to starve like I did? Mm. He doesn't want to make money. Yeah. He right. wants to spend his money on doing this for kids that he doesn't know. Right. And I was, I was, I was so humbled, man. I was just like, there, this guy is amazing. And I said, you're my guy. Mm. How long ago was this when you met him? That was November. And you've been working with him since then. Yeah. And he's in, he's in hundred percent. Yeah. He's ready to get out of basketball. He, he wants to do this. Wow. So he, um, so what we're, what we've decided to do is we, we get our guy, we set him up with his own NGO in his country. So he, local leadership, local, local leadership. That's beautiful. Yeah. So he is going to run the project. This is his project. That's perfect. We are simply advisors. That's beautiful. We're going to bring him here and train him, take him out to Cal earth out in California. Um, so he gets hands-on training on how to build eco-dome houses, so earth, yep. earth bag houses. Yep. Um, they have plenty of earth and plenty of bags in Uganda. We can build a house there for about $6,000 that'll last 100 years. Nice. Um, going to do that. We're going to teach them sustainable farming. Mm-hmm. We're going to do aquaponics and hydroponics, all low-density stuff. Um, and then we're going to let him pick five young men that he's going to bring in and then mentor for a year. Yeah, and exactly. And do the, basically the same thing we're doing for him. And hopefully that this, this will, is the disciple idea, right? Yeah. Like just one, each one teach one. Yeah. Dude, I love it. And if you know that we're hoping to get him like 20 acres or so, yep. which should be plenty to start. Um, and I want to bring him here and introduce him to some of the people that you and I know. Yep. Um, and let th- him tell them about his project. Yeah. And see if we can't get him set up in fundraising for his project. This is just you trying to get out of fundraising, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. You do it. <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's two purposes here. But uh, no, I, I mean we have to be an integral part of that. Sure. You know, where he's got to, he's got to meet the people, and yeah, you know. Um, get it out there. And this is something I think, you know, financially is so feasible. It's way easier. We're talking a 10th of the cost. Yeah. I, so, you know, we can do 10 of these for what the initial plan for the one village was going to cost. Are you guys planning on being out there a good amount? Yeah. I think for the first year I'll do a month on and a month off. Okay. We're already, um, looking to rent a house in that area. Good. And so Steve, as we're building, Steve will have a place to live yep. and then it should be a little two bedroom house. So awesome. I'll have a place to stay. And, um, yeah, it's going to be super exciting. Now, do you have a, like for, let's say someone's listening and they want to support the work you're doing in some way, let's say hopefully even financially, is there something set up right now where they could do that? Yeah. Yeah. You you go, our website people? is uh, archangelfarms.com. 
org. There's a donation page there or on our Facebook. Archangel Farms. Yeah, Archangel Farms. And they can find you on Facebook, find out more about your projects yep. and what you're doing. Yep. Get in touch with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Is there any other things you want? I mean, it's not like I have a huge listener base, but like you never know in time, right? But is yeah. there any, anything else you want to ask of people or? Delta points. You can send. <laughs> Hook me up with them Man, flyer miles. I'll tell you, you know, plane tickets to That's good. Uganda are crazy expensive. Yeah. yeah you know, $1,800 a, $1, a person. That's what I was wondering about the off and on, but it's a good rhythm. It's yeah. just a expensive pattern. Yeah. Well, you know, you think about it to be there permanently, got to build a house, got to maintain a house, got to pay the electric mm-hmm. and got to pay to eat and, and do all that is you look at the financial part of that being there for a month it might actually be leaner to yeah. just rent. Yeah. And we've fly done, and we've done the math and it's, it may cost five or $6 more. Yeah. You know, per month. Yeah. Um, but it, in the end, there's no, there's nothing for us to leave that yeah. is ours. That'll all be theirs. I love that though. Like I really do. Like it's a, it's an investment in him. Yeah, you it found is. Found someone 100%. there, and then and then and then, hopefully as a model, more emerge. Uh, what I, what I would really and, ask people is to think of a guy. Hmm. I know it, there's going to be people listening that support other organizations. Yeah. See if that organization has a guy. Yeah. Because that's what we're going to be looking for. We're like going to be looking iterating for... Iterating on this after yeah. he's up and running. It's like, hey, we want to do I that I want to again. do this again. This is something we want to produce all over the world. We just want to keep doing it. And it can be here. Yeah. You know, I don't care where it's at. Man, I love it. Thank you so much for all you're doing with your life, um, for the houses you hooked those families up with. Thank yeah. you for sharing your story. Um, thank you for your example. It's truly my pleasure, man. Thank it, you for your service. Appreciate you, man. You too, Thanks for doing this.